1: Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at UH1.com. Hello and welcome to the second series of Help, I'm in my 20s, a podcast dedicated to career development, stories and inspiration hosted by me, Georgie Hobart-Smith. Today's guest is Jessica Lee, Buyer for H and M and soon to be buyer at Cos. Having lived with Jess at university, I always thought she'd go into something creative, and she did. And this is despite her parents wanting her to be a doctor or a lawyer. Having found out that law wasn't for her, Jess then moved into travel and then into retail, where she has stayed since, although in quite different roles, as you will hear. There's a lot to listen to, so let's get started. Hi, Jessica. Welcome to Help. I'm in my twenties. How are you?
0: I'm good, thanks. How are you?
1: Good, thank you. I'm talking from a considerably warmer country than the one you're in now because you live in Sweden and it's minus Sweden. 12.
0: It's <laughs> minus 12, feels like minus 18. Gosh. So that's great. I've never lived in a country before where it's been this cold. So.
1: And you're sitting there with a the hot water bottle, ready to chat <laughs> about your career history and definitely caught you at an interesting time as you are also about to go for a career change which is really exciting and country change as you move back to the UK but I'll stop any more spoilers and ask you if it's okay to give a quick introduction to your career history.
0: Yeah so I think the main thing to know is just I had no idea what I wanted to do with my life. Mm. Like I had absolutely no clue. So even going to uni, I studied English literature mm-hmm. because I had no idea what I wanted to do. And I coming from an Asian background, my mum was very much like, You will do law or you will be a doctor <laughs> or a banker. And I so didn't
1: done put the stereotypes in she
0: she did she (laughs) she was the kind of mum who you know when you're younger at school like primary school and they're like oh what do you want to be when you're older Mm. she taught me oh what did she say oh she taught me the word pediatrician (laughs) so anytime anyone was like what do you want to be when you're old I'd be like a pediatrician (laughs) because she was like yeah this is what you're going to be um but I was really bad at science. She at GCSE, she made me do triple science, even though I was like definitely not gifted in science. <laughs> um, in my mock for chemistry, I got predicted an F. Right. Luckily, revised, 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 got an A star. That's like the proudest moment. <laughs> you went from an F to an A star. <laughs> that, that was my proudest moment. I literally did every single, every single practice paper there was out there because I was like I'm I have to nail this now because she hates me (laughs) um but yeah being a doctor was out of the question because science is not my forte so then it was like okay lawyer so then I did English literature because I guess that was a step towards that direction without actually having to do law no did English then had some law placement throughout uni hated it okay <laughs> it just because it wasn't my vibe and then I decided maybe I really wanted to go into fashion journalism mm-hmm. and use my degree but also my interest in fashion which I had always loved from young um so then I had some placements at Vogue and Elle and then I really liked travel as well so I did Condé Nast Traveler mm and realized um, maybe it wasn't quite for me. So then I ended up having my first real job at a company called Voyage Privé, which is like a travel company that gives customers deals and stuff. So I did content writing for them. And then to be honest, found it a bit boring. And my manager actually said that I should go into the buying side of it, which was, liaising with suppliers and kind of negotiating prices and packages for customers. So I did that and then kind of was thinking, do I wanna do travel or do I wanna go into fashion again? And that's when I got a job at House of Hackney, which is like an interiors lifestyle fashion brand. And I was a production coordinator And so that was what I next did at a really small company. It was tiny and such a great learning experience. Uh, Well, I was there for like two years and then I wanted to have a change. So I ended up at ASOS Mm -hmm. as a buying assistant. And that was obviously a way bigger company
1: and quite big,
0: (laughs) slightly bigger. But that was also like such an amazing experience. I was there for two years
1: moving all the way back to university i actually even though we lived together at university i don't think i recalled that you did some work experience in law firms um and i think i need to get someone on this podcast who did law and actually enjoys it because <laughs> two people so far <laughs> happened and they've gone into something else so what do you know what specifically was about it that didn't quite click with you
0: i to be honest i don't think i'm a very corporate person I think I'm a bit too floaty (laughs) in my personality and a bit, I'm a bit blasé. I think I really am more of like a bigger picture kind of woman than Mm -hmm. like really into the detail. And I also think when I did my experience in like family law, I just would come home crying <laughs> all the time because yeah. I'd be reading on I reading up on all these cases with like children and mm. the best and I I think it, I'm a bit too emotional to be honest for it.
1: it does sound quite intense to be fair like I'm not yeah. sure a lot of people would find that easy but I no. think thinking about a kind of corporate I can See that as well. I think you've definitely got the artistic streak in you where you know you'd prefer, like you say, to see that bigger picture. And mm. you know, depending on the detail, I'm sure there's a lot of detail things you do get involved in, but mm. maybe not down to the wording of a sentence.
0: No, and I think, as you said, like I feel like I am quite creative, so I wanted a job where I could use that creativity alongside my like analytical skills and more strategic mm. brain as well. And I think law was a bit too much of the analysis and too much of the strategy and too little of the creativity. Mm. So knowing that you didn't
1: want to do that, ha- and you said that the next thing was sort of fashion journalism and you went into travel journalism, which parts of it were exciting to you, maybe before you joined?
0: I think it was the, so like, not the social aspects, but just, I guess, like getting to know a country or mm. getting to know a brand or a person. Um, that's what was really exciting to me. And I think just digging deeper into something and finding more mm. about... A, about that thing yeah that was really interesting to me I guess I felt like I had to use my degree because I would spent three years mm. like writing essays and analyzing text and I felt like oh well I've done all of this so I need to use this in mm. some way in my job which now in hindsight I realize like my current job has nothing to do with what I did at uni but that's okay
1: mm.
0: and it's okay for me to like it it wasn't a waste of time, like I still definitely have like had a valuable experience doing that, but it doesn't mean that I have to use that very literally in my job
1: mm. what which things do you think you might have taken from do you think you've taken anything from your degree that you may be now?
0: I mean, I think with English literature, you have to be very analytical and like. I think that's definitely something that I have taken with me in my current job because mm-hmm. as a buyer, I have to really analyze um, customer, like, customer trends and what they like, what they don't like, mm-hmm. really read into and dig into selling. And so I guess it's not literally like me looking at a text and analyzing it and then writing an essay about it, but I'm still using like, those analytical, those analytical skills. Um, And I guess, I mean, not that English literature is, like, creative, but you're using your imagination and using skills, but just not in the exact way that I use them.
1: Mm. Would you not call English literature creative? In my head, it's really creative.
0: It's more analysis. Mm. I think if I was doing creative writing, where I was writing my own stories and coming up with my own narrative and I think that would be more like literal mm. but in my degree I didn't really do any of that it was it was more reading other people's texts and analyzing it and mm. analyzing that
1: yeah and then from Voyage Privé you changed role within that
0: mm-hmm. so how did that
1: conversation happen with your
0: manager she actually came up to me and suggested it I think she kind of realized that maybe my skills were really well suited to that mm. and I'm actually really grateful to her her name was Nikki she just sat up a meeting with me and was like I feel like you're very charismatic and you would be really well suited to the more client-facing side because mm. content writing is I mean not isolating but you are just in the office and you're just mm. writing things and in my head, I would have been like traveling the world and then Mm -hmm. like writing about it. But within that specific job, I wasn't, I was just kind of like Googling what a place, like Googling what to do in Lisbon. And then I would just write it. I'd never actually be able to go to Lisbon. Yeah. In my head, that would be, you need to go to see it. I know, that's what I think. And that's what I thought I was going into, going into that role. Mm but it was actually the buyers who do that so it's the buyers who go to Mm. get to travel and go to the hotels and experience it there and um, so it's actually that side rather than the content writing side that actually got to do the fun traveling Mm. and so then she suggested that I make that move
1: yeah
0: and so I did Um, was there a role
1: that was ready for you almost
0: yeah there was I think they were expanding and so she 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 obviously knew that Mm. and so then I I therefore got that role um but yeah that was that was way better actually because yeah I felt like it was more client-facing I got to talk to more people and then I also got to really use like these business skills mm. um in terms of like negotiating and costing um and that all lent itself really well to me then becoming a buyer mm.
1: and then so within your next role and then after that where did you go next after voyage privé house of hackney house of hackney yeah okay so your a production so, coordinator. and yes what did you do as part of that what does that actually mean
0: so i was on the interior side Um, So I dealt with true interiors, which were, like, furniture, um, cushions, wallpaper, what else? Carpet, um, fabric, Mm. and I did a bit of product development, so helped the print designers and design kind of come up with colours and stuff, and then I also did, like, the number side, so looking at sale like looking at past sales analysis and what customers really liked and then deciding how many like meters of fabric we should Mm -hmm. make and then negotiating those prices with the suppliers basically doing everything that you need to do to make furniture so like Mm -hmm. if someone wanted a sofa I'd have to calculate the consumption of fabric and then order it and then get it there in time for the lead times basically just like coordinating the production of stuff yeah
1: so when you say production coordinator my first thought was that you were coordinating the production of an ad or something like that but actually you're coordinating the producing of a product Mm. which sounds very logistical and I guess a really good starting point for your buying journey as well
0: yeah, and I guess it got me into the mindset of like lead times and calculating that kind of thing. So, for instance, mm. we'd we'd get an offer to do up a room in a, a hotel or mm. a nightclub. So then we'd have to calculate how many rolls of wallpaper we'd need, and then we need to like make sure that we've ordered that wallpaper. Within the time that they mm. need it there to fix it up and the cushions and XYZ. So, yeah, it, it did involve a lot of organization. Mm. Um, and
1: you, you said earlier that you weren't very detail oriented. Yeah. This sounds incredibly detailed to me.
0: <laughs> yeah, it was. And I think that's why I'm now no longer a production coordinator. <laughs> right (laughs) no I did really like it and it was a really good learning curve but I think I yeah that I think I definitely prefer what I'm in now which is buying which is slightly different it's less logistical I guess
1: so then from House of Acme that was where you then moved to ASOS and which department did you start out in
0: So I started out in swimwear and then at ASOS they really like to move you around so you get a more Mm -hmm. like rounded assortment view I guess. Um, So I started out in swim and then I went to lingerie and nightwear Mm -hmm. and then I went to dresses and that was my last apartment.
1: So that's quite, when you think of ASOS you think of how big almost those departments are when you look online mm. having the um, or how many products are actually there so in the team how did they organize it so that it wasn't completely overwhelming and I know that you're very busy at the time when you worked at ASOS but how do they try and divide up all of the responsibilities or does it depend on the team you're in?
0: I mean, it was very overwhelming (laughs) (laughs) to be fair. And yeah, ASOS has so many products and it's obviously like very trend driven. So there are always going to be loads of products. And I think especially what I was, a buyer's assistant, it can Mm. be very scary and overwhelming. And it does often feel like there's a a lot to do all the time. Mm. Um, But I do think it's very department based um there are some departments that are smaller than others I think for swim for instance there were a lot of products because you think about like a top mm. and then a bottom but then they have multiple tops multiple bottoms in the same mm. print times hundreds mm. hundreds literally hundreds <laughs> and then we also did beach fare as well on top of that mm. um but it's kind of divided the buying team was kind of divided we had two buyers assistants and then we had two assistant buyers and then we had one buyer Mm. just on the buying side and then we had an intern as well but that was a lot to do Mm. a lot to do
1: that's reminded me of a walk that we once took in a park and you were trying to explain to me the amount of levels of different buyers that there are, and then also um, the order they go in, how long it takes, what it actually means. The fact that there's a buyer's assistant and an assistant buyer nearly blew my mind, but uh, <laughs> talking, can you talk me through the levels of buying?
0: Yeah, and I think it depends on company as well. So <clears throat> for instance, there are companies that don't have as many levels, but then I think with ASOS where it is so big, Mm. they feel like they have to separate you. So there's like levels within levels. So you start off as an entry buyers admin assistant. Right. And then you go to established buyers assistant. And then you go to senior buyers assistant. And then you get promoted into like the next level Mm -hmm. as an entry assistant buyer. And then you go to established assistant buyer. Then you get to senior assistant buyer. Okay. and then you get to the next promotion like full promotion junior buyer then you're a buyer then you're a senior buyer mm-hmm. and then you I guess you but you then be like head of buying right okay
1: does buying sound strange to you as well uh, after you said it right <laughs> <laughs> There are a lot of levels okay so then from ASOS you got to I guess two years and you moved to Sweden so how did that happen?
0: Moved to Sweden just decided I wanted to go to Stockholm. I yeah I think I obviously had a great time at ASOS but it was stressful and I think at such a big company sometimes it can be quite difficult to move to the next level Mm. and where you feel like there are so many levels it can be quite tricky especially Mm. where you feel like when it's time to get to like the next full promotion it's a bit of a bottleneck um also I'd been there for two years and I was kind of thinking I wouldn't mind a change in company anyway. So then I interviewed at, I actually interviewed at COS and then I got to the final round and HR said that they didn't think that the role would challenge me enough creatively because it was an an online role. So there wasn't going to be so much product development, which is something that I really like doing as I said like I really like the fact that my job has product development in it and the more creative side working with designers but also the more strategic side so they said that I should um, apply for H&M in Stockholm and I'm the kind of person who I've lived in London my whole life like I was born in London apart from going to uni in Nottingham Mm. I've always lived in London and I've always thought that that was like the hub of it of it all and I never wanted to move Mm. I was one of those people and so then I was like oh Sweden okay let's just see how it goes but it all happened so quick um I think I found out I got the job within well I was asked to fly to Sweden within like two weeks of me applying um and then I got the job there and then and I was kind of like okay yeah I'll take it didn't really think about it mm. and then a couple of months later I was in Stockholm moving all my <laughs> stuff and I was like oh okay <laughs> in this city that I've never been to apart from my interview I'd never even thought about visiting um don't know the language don't know one person and two and a half years later I'm here and absolutely love it been like the best experience ever. So yeah, it was very I, I don't know if I would have done it if I had actually thought about it. Mm-hmm. I just like did it <laughs> very impulsively <laughs> and then found myself here and was like, oh okay, I guess I'm here now. <laughs> <laughs>
1: and then how did H&M support your move?
0: HM were actually very good about supporting my move and I think if they hadn't have been so good I wouldn't have gone mm. so they um paid well they found me an apartment for the first three months that I was here I was able to extend that to up to six months which I did and they paid for the first three months of it um they helped with all of my visa stuff they helped me get a bank account they helped me like integrate Mm. into Sweden and I think I was really really lucky in my team that it was so friendly had intercultural training as well what does Swedish mean? how lessons. do they do that they kind of basically talk about like the Swedes and typical character traits and what you should look for or like if there were any if there was anything weird like why they do it okay. and they also introduce you in that training to like other people who are international. So it's like Mm -hmm. a really nice way to meet friends as well. Um, But yeah, I had Swedish lessons as well. So yeah, they do a lot actually. They did a lot for me to Mm -hmm. really make me feel more comfortable and it definitely helped. So when you were at h which department did you go into? Um, So I've been on nightwear. the whole two and a half years which is the longest that I've ever been on in a department in the same department um so that's been interesting Mm. to just see a department grow and it's actually been really nice for me to like come in at the beginning and then see the sales like Mm -hmm. increase and just see the collection and the assortment change throughout my time here so that's been really interesting. Was it a whole new department then, nightwear? N- no, but it was very small. And I think thanks to COVID, everyone was buying nightwear in the last mm. like a year and a half. So while a lot of departments were on the decline and not doing so well and underperforming, mm. nightwear was thriving.
1: But that must have been very challenging as well with supply chains being Mm. as they were, how did you deal with that? Or is it another team that sort of deals with the supply chain?
0: I think it was, it was really hard. We saw prices increase, cost prices increase, and they're Mm. continuing to increase now, which is a big problem across the retail sector. Mm. Um, In terms of, delay, like we had so many delays because, a lot of our factories were obviously in lockdown. Mm. That really affected us. Stores were closed as well, so that was difficult. There's a lot of like problem solving, but the fact that it was a global pandemic, <laughs> you kind of feel like everyone's in the same boat. Yeah, definitely. So, yeah, you just have to kind of deal with it. I guess it's not. Mm. It wasn't the easiest, but no.
1: so so a question I probably should have asked first what is buying can you explain what you actually do
0: (laughs) it's like my least favorite question ever because I'm always like oh it's I just like find it really hard to explain because a lot of people a lot of people will just be like oh you just buy clothes for a living um which I kind of guess is a bit true but I guess ultimately I help put the clothes that you see in store and online into store and online Mm -hmm. um so creatively I work with the designers and look at look at trends strategy so how much of each product do we want to buy and that's using gut feeling and thinking about what the trends are gonna be, but also looking at the past. So what have customers historically liked to buy? Mm. And then setting the units and quantities for each product. And then also thinking about when do we want them to come into store and online? So like looking at timing, so you wouldn't want, for instance, like a summer dress coming in at winter. Mm. And then you want like a Christmas jump coming in for Christmas timing, but you only want it to last for like three weeks because then it just goes into sale. I don't know if that's like a good explanation.
1: No, I think it is it's interesting to know like the different facets of going from design to in store and actually what goes into that. Do you think, and it sounds very almost, I guess counterintuitive, but like, do you think a finance degree or like economics would have been helpful? not really
0: yeah I think in my job I do feel like you need business acumen Mm. um we are dealing with like margins and profits and figures and stuff like that so it would be really helpful but I I mean it's not rocket science I think it's like definitely something that you can learn on the job Mm. I mean I didn't do I did maths for A a level but I didn't do a finance degree Mm. um but yeah I mean it is helpful I think it would be really helpful as a merchandiser who is definitely more of the figure side Mm. but yeah I think as long as you can work out a margin and know what a good profit is Mm. you're kind of
1: good to go that's good and then in terms of like ordering all the units and everything do you think that really it's experience that helps you to know what is a good amount or are there sort of guides that just you know able to help you so if you want it in every single store around Mm. the world there's like a benchmark figure you might go for
0: yeah there's kind of like rough order quantities that you have in mind already but Mm. so it's like if it's a flow so something that you want in store all season round then you kind of know that you want to buy a lot of it and then you want to have intakes throughout different months so that it's always there whereas if it's something that you want to come in and out, then that would just be like a highlight.
1: Mm.
0: And you want to put less quantity on that. Each department has a specific budget. So like you have a pocket of money that you're allowed to spend each Mm. quarter or each season or whatever. So then it's about allocating that money to like what you think is gonna sell well and sell the most of and what the customers gonna like. Mm. So it's a bit of a puzzle. And then it's also making sure that the product comes into the stores at the time that you want it to. So managing the critical path and making sure that you're fitting the styles in the right way and that you're receiving the lab dips and like colors at the right time. And that the production is going smoothly so that it's able to be shipped to the right stores at the right time.
1: So it yes. all sounds very detailed to me again you said you're not very detail oriented but there's a lot of detail in what you're doing
0: I guess I am detail oriented in a way <laughs> <you'd> say it. <laughs> but I'm more I'm I think yeah in my job you have to be a bit you have to be detail oriented but I guess like for me that's not my favorite part of the job okay my favorite part of the job is like the overall looking at the strategy and like how I'm gonna place my money and mm. like what I want my big buys to be and what do, what does that look like um versus I want yeah versus the the detail. It's probably not good for me to say this. But- <laughs>
1: Well, I think it's,
0: I mean, it's more strategic
1: thinking, isn't it, versus like tactical. So at the end of a season or a year, do you get a chart which shows you this is how much you spent, this is how much those products made?
0: So, yeah, we get, I guess it depends on the company and what their systems are like, but mm. at H&M, we get weekly sales. So we can see what the customer has been buying um what the stock levels are like um how much money we've made mm. every Monday yeah. and from there we're then scrutinizing and analyzing um how we can make more money for the department and how we can also de-risk it
1: that's interesting so moving into um I guess the next role at because you're going to be buyer mm-hmm. so what changes as part of your role from where you are now to that apart from the company of course
0: um i think it will be a different role um i think the main the main change for me is going to be the culture because in sweden it's a very flat structure the work life balance is amazing but in london it is More hierarchical. Mm. So, although I'm a buyer here in Stockholm, I think in London I'll be managing two assistants. Mm. So, I think that will be a change. I mean, I'm going to be changing departments. So, I'll be overseeing more products and more departments. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: So, that will be different. I think it will just generally be a bit more responsibility. So, I'm excited, but I'm also. I guess it's that's always the case when you start a new job. You always get a bit anxious and a bit nervous. Mm. I was, I saw this meme. It was like starting a new job is like being a new character in season five of a series. <laughs> that's really good. <laughs> and I feel like that's going to be me. I'm going to have no friends again. I'm going to be in a new company. I guess it's part of the H and M group, so it'll still be the same systems and stuff, but. Mm. I'm yeah, I think it will be different. It'll definitely be a new challenge,
1: and I mean managing people as well. So when did you last
0: manage people? I think you have done before. I manage people here now, Mm, but as I said, it's a very very flat structure, so Mm. you don't feel like you're managing them. I think here it's very much like okay, even though you're a buyer and you've got an assistant, Mm. the assistant does. A role that's just as just as important as yours, which is completely true. Mm. But it's like, it's not like your role is the junior version of my role. It's just like, Mm. oh, you just have a different role, which which is, to be honest, how I think it should be. But there's no kind of sense of like, okay, like to my assistant, what have you got on today? Mm. Managing their workload and like managing their progression and like having these catch-ups and I guess, like being their mentor or whatever. Mm -hmm. Whereas I think in the UK, as a manager, you're expected to kind of set those expectations and like constantly be checking on them. And it's definitely more hierarchical, whereas here it would be seen as like very micromanagey.
1: Yeah. Well I mean you don't Um, have to take that you can maybe take that more maybe you can take that different approach to your new role and see how it works with
0: the team as well. Yeah for sure I think definitely one of the big things I'm going to take from here is trying to implement a better work-life balance and Mm -hmm. a less hierarchical version of management because I just think I've had really bad managers who are very hierarchical and I've hated it. And I always said to myself, when I become a buyer, I will never be like that.
1: Mm.
0: So, yeah, I think it will be interesting. Mm,
1: definitely a new challenge. It's exciting, though. And yeah. I mean, as I said already, I'm so excited for you to be back in London. It's going to be very fun. Coming to the end of the episode, there's a couple of questions that I ask everybody. So mm. the first one is, what has been the best thing in your career, to date
0: to be honest I've loved moving countries mm. I think it's been such an amazing experience and I it's kind of taught me that I can just do anything that I want to and be okay like I just can't believe like when I think about it I can't believe that I just moved to this country that i would never been to knowing no one and man and and actually love it here, and have built a life here, made lifelong friends, really developed in my career. and yeah, just had the best time and I am genuinely really, really sad to leave. And then I say like another highlight, even though it's not anything to do with, I guess it's not like career necessarily, but then using my buying skills to raise money for stop Asian hate mm. and like spread awareness for that. That was really, that was something that I'm really proud of.
1: So that's something we should definitely talk about. So you founded Creation Collective. Yeah. So tell me a little bit more about that.
0: It kind of was born out of severe mm. sadness and anger. Um, obviously there's always been racism, and racism towards A- Asian people, um, but it got way worse in COVID. Mm. And I think being away from home made it way worse for me because I wasn't with my family. And I think here, well, at, in in London, I have I I'm surrounded by more Asian people and people who look like me. I guess like in terms of friends and family, whereas here. I don't really have that community. Um, and I was feeling really lost and upset. And there had been a few incidents that had happened to me mm. here where I felt really discriminated against, and um, instances that happened to my friends in London, and I felt like I couldn't be there. And I was just, it was just really, really bad. And I kind of felt like no one was talking about it. And where, there had been such a huge camaraderie with BLM. Um, I felt like that just wasn't the case for this. And there, sh- there should have been. Hmm. Um, because with BLM, I felt like that was amazing how everyone like, came together and it felt so united. And I think, yeah, obviously the people that it's affecting should feel empowered but it's also the allies that should be empowering them as well. Mm. So I kind of wanted to like form something where it could spread more awareness and also like maybe raise some money. And so I decided to create a t-shirt and ask all my creative friends to make artworks and stuff that I could put on Instagram to spread awareness. Mm. Yeah. I kind of, felt like I did that um created this platform on which people could put that art on to raise awareness and then also this t-shirt and I got loads of people to publicize it and I was really excited when Gemma Chan did and mm. loads of famous like restaurants and I, I think I ended up raising just over two thousand pounds amazing so that was really good
1: you should be so proud I remember having these conversations with you and you're like yeah this happened around the world this happened to me this happened elsewhere and obviously I heard what happened to you through you but Mm -hmm. I hadn't heard of any of the other stories like at Mm -hmm. all and that in itself I think speaks volumes in Mm -hmm. terms of which people just weren't talking about it and you know I'm not Asia so maybe I don't understand fully Mm -hmm. but I understand how frustrating that could have been when you're like this is happening why is no one talking about it yeah and you actually channeled that frustration into something really positive where you are doing something for the community so you should definitely be so proud of that and I mean I've got your t-shirt in my room now and (laughs) I mean I love it number one um but uh do you have plans for the future with that as well
0: Um, Yeah I kind of stopped with it. Um, I had like some other things going on and Mm. I was really stressed about this is that was when I was moving. I hadn't found a place to live and all of that stuff so I kind of stopped but I think definitely when I come back to London um, and I've settled into my new role and stuff it's like definitely something that I want to continue doing. Mm. make another t-shirt maybe some tote bags and I think it would definitely be way easier for me logistically to do it in London as well I mean most of the people that I sold to were from the UK and with Brexit that was a bit difficult Mm -hmm. so yeah I definitely want to start it up again and now we'll come off the best thing
1: and we'll go into the worst or the hardest thing (laughs) That you've the ever hardest in thing. your career
0: <laughs> i think i guess the hardest thing was and still is maybe the unknown mm. like just not really knowing like even from uni like what do i want to do and mm. even now like am i doing the right thing yeah i guess that's what this podcast is kind of about as well that's
1: exactly what it's about <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> just being like unsure of yourself and then also like having imposter syndrome I I guess what we were talking about earlier where there's so many different levels within buying it can often make you feel like wait am I am I the level that I should be like am I good enough and getting all these promotions even now me going into this new job I'm like oh but wait what if I can't do it What if I'm not good enough? I think that's the trickiest thing.
1: Definitely. I think we all have self-doubt, but at least you have really tangible proof that you are good at what you do. You wouldn't have even got to where you are now. They wouldn't have facilitated you, you moving country and then promoting you twice, by the way, in like two years. So there is some really tangible evidence that you're obviously doing really well at what you do. And you're able to explain it to me in a way that, Even when we talked to you before, maybe I haven't asked the most detailed questions, but you've definitely been able to tell me new things today that I didn't know that you did as part of your role. So it's good to hear. And I mean, in terms of not knowing where where you want to go or know if it's the right thing, I don't know if we ever can until you're in it and past it, no matter Mm. what it is. And sometimes those doubts can mean that there is a challenge ahead but the challenges are also what improve our experience and develop us as well I think sometimes not well not all challenges but a lot of challenges
0: (laughs) I agree I agree with that statement it's interesting because you just think about where you were at the start of your career and then like five years ago and then now Hmm. And then you just wonder, okay, what's going to happen in five years time and then 10 years time? It's so it's so funny because my dad, when I first started working, Mm. I was like, why am I so junior? Like, why am I earning this amount of money? What am I doing? Mm. Like, I'm so unsure. And he was like, but just if you think about it came like now that I've graduated he was like you you're going to be working until you're what 60 60 65 you have so many years ahead of you like if you think about it you're actually only one years old now in terms of like your career Mm -hmm. so it's actually fine that you don't know what you want to do so I guess now I'm 29 which how I'm in my 20s I've, I've just made it <laughs> next year next year would have been a no you well no you and me both my first ever guest on the
1: whole series was like in their late 30s
0: <laughs> okay that's good
1: but um but, I think that's a really good point but actually our careers are so long we don't have to achieve everything in our
0: 20s exactly it's like now I'm 29 and I started working when I was maybe what 21 hmm. so I'm actually like what eight years old really <laughs> I'm actually only eight guys <laughs> but it also makes me feel better when I feel like I'm not when I've never when I haven't been in like the position that I wanted to be or hadn't been promoted mm. that one time um it, it made me feel better
1: we can change anytime we want to if we do want to and especially with what your dad is saying it is reassuring to know
0: You've got yeah. so much
1: time; you don't have to rush it. But I think also when we were growing up, obviously our parents were at that sort of later stage where you know we're probably ten years off that or still. So I was like yeah. double our working time, and we would see them being successful potentially. And yeah. we're like, when we start, we're like, well, why why aren't I like that? But they've obviously yeah. like worked for twenty years. <laughs> so exactly it's different. And it, I was I've been reflecting on this a bit, kind of as part of the podcast and thinking back to yeah being 21 22 that does feel like a really long time ago <laughs> but also on speaking to lots of people who you know have gone through their 20s even though I someone could say this as much as they wanted to when I was 21 or 22 but it is quite a long time and you do achieve a lot in that time and even if we don't feel settled at the you know end of our 20s it doesn't matter because Who does? (laughs) And also, we've got so much time left, and you know, you get people in their 40s and 50s who don't feel settled. And, you know, maybe it's just at each point someone feels something different. And maybe when we don't feel settled, sometimes that could be a good thing because you don't want to be too comfortable. But also, Mm -hmm. maybe it also just means that you're ambitious as well hard to know I mean we've my next question was about the future but I think we've sort of spoken about that but do you have an idea in the future of what you might like to happen
0: oh I have no idea I mean I really like buying mm. maybe I'd be head of buying somewhere well maybe I'd have my own maybe I'll have my own company mm. yeah I don't know we'll see
1: we see lots of possibilities
0: and if someone
1: wanted to get into buying let's say or maybe wants to change career or just kind of focus on what they're doing what advice would you give to them what would be like sort of the number one bit of advice that you would give to someone that you wish you'd known
0: oh god um
1: i don't know i don't have any advice (laughs) I think you do. I feel like you've given advice all the way through this. What advice would you give? If there's someone to get into research. Yeah. I would give them the advice that, to remember that they're the expert in what they do when they're presenting. Because often I feel like I don't need to be here. I shouldn't be here, but actually I'm there because people have no idea what customers are saying.
0: <laughs> Oh my god that's a really good one. Thanks.
1: (laughs) Let's reframe. Okay I've got one.
0: I would say that you should be open to change Mm -hmm. and like be happy to go with the flow. I mean obviously that's not the case if you know exactly what you want to do but for me in my instance I had no idea what I wanted to do. I... Thought I wanted to do writing and then I thought I wanted to do travel and then I thought no I want to do interiors and then I got into mm. fashion and then I got into buying and to be honest I had no idea what buying even was until until Nikki told me that I should do buy it, travel buying mm. but then that was even different to fashion buying and I think I I could have definitely just been closed off to that because I had no idea what that was, but because I took that chance and that opportunity to just see what it was about,
1: mm. now,
0: now I've gone down this new career path, just totally career, different career path that I thought, than I thought I ever would be on. Mm. So I guess if you're not sure about something, then it's, it's always okay to just try. And see rather than like just closing yourself off.
1: I think that's really good advice. And I think you mentioned earlier that HM, you applied and in two weeks you'd got the job or something like that. It was like mm. in a less than that, maybe. And that didn't really give you time to think, you just went with the flow. Whereas if you'd had an application, then you had to wait two months, which mm. to be honest, like I've had in the past rejections after like four months you're like well yeah I, I, I thought you had already <laughs> filled the role actually yeah. but um you know it can take a long time and in that time you can almost think a lot and almost mm-hmm. if you're a bit worried about it talk yourself out of it taking yeah, that 100%. sort of chance and I mean from my point of view it's that chance and being open to that has served you very well
0: <laughs> I mean yeah even with this new job at course that happened within the space of two weeks as well hmm. so it feels like very things quick. just up and change for me very suddenly and I make these life decisions I don't know if this is the best advice because it feels like I make these big decisions very importantly well <laughs> but yeah I guess maybe it's just it's not it's really nice to have a five-year plan or you know like a, a yearly plan at the beginning and, and I definitely think it's important to have goals mm. that you set yourself and that you want to achieve because it always helps you stay motivated and kind of allows you to dream but I personally like to keep it a bit looser as well because it gives you space and room to grow and explore and discover.
1: I think that's that's really great advice to end on so thank you so much Jess for being part of Thank you so much to Jessica Lee for being part of Help In My 20s. I absolutely love talking to you for so long and hearing really the details of your roles, which I didn't know a lot of. And also thank you to you all for listening. This has been the last episode in series two. And if you'd like to listen to more and you haven't already, there are 11 other episodes that you can listen to from wherever you get your podcast. I'd really appreciate it if you could like, comment, subscribe or share with your network and you can follow me on Instagram at Help I'm in my 20s At this point in time, I don't know if it's going to be a third series, but if you think it's something that you would like to hear, then please let me know. Thank you for listening to Help I'm In My Twenties.
0: Hold up.